This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, it's Wednesday, September 14th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria DeVetti in Toronto. I'm Ryan Jesperson in Edmonton. What's up, my friend? Oh, man, lots uh, to get to. Uh, the Conservative Party leadership race has ended, and to the surprise of everyone, no, just kidding, Pierre Polyev won. He won decisively like 68% on the first ballot. So he's got that going for him. And, and it's um, him versus the media already. Already. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll get into those details, obviously, a little bit later on in the show. But he had this great, you know, acceptance speech um, the night of uh, the, the the leadership race. He had a great sort of first um, introduction to his conservative caucus as leader. You know, he's got his adorable baby there, his, his beautiful wife next to him. Um, you know, it was very humble in his remarks, talking about how he's going to unify the party and he's the leader for everyone. And then, uh, yeah. And then the next night happened and he's at war with the media already. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously I think probably a calculated move and, and his, his predecessor two leaders ago, Andrew Scheer had already kind of set the tone with some, uh, pretty scathing uh, assessments of the state of Canadian media just a short time prior to that. So we understand the drum that they're going to be banging. You know, you, you mentioned, Polyev's acceptance speech, and I, I thought it was really well done. And it's it's kind of interesting what happens at the conclusion of a leadership race. Virtually everybody is happy to see it done. And with a solid and positive and optimistic acceptance speech, oftentimes the new leader can automatically cause any concerns around their campaign tactics to evaporate. But Polyev didn't do that. The next day he doubled down on a lot of that narrative and, and I think sets the tone for what the next year or two is going to look like for good reason. I think a lot of people have, feel a bit of a pit in their stomach. Yeah. And it's worth noting on that, you know, in that vein, um, Alain Reyes, who was a, a Quebec MP quit the CPC caucus. Um, and then Pierre's camp, I guess, sent out a, a message to Alain's uh, constituents basically saying that he should resign. Um, so that's something uh, have you ever see, seen this story happening in the news in the background, Ryan, as well? Like a bunch of people, like grown adults are pissed that the Little Mermaid is going right. to be black now. And this is apparently a huge cause for concern. Yeah. And uh, th- this on the heels of everybody. And I, I'm going to get out of my depth here because I don't know a lot about the, the fantasy series Game of Thrones or anything like that. But my understanding is that this new spinoff series has people of color. Uh, in, in these fantasy roles and, and people can't believe that the the ghouls and the gremlins and the goblins that have magical powers could also be black. Uh, I'm not sure. It seems to be a bit of a moment of reckoning for a lot of people, but there was a, a good news story that came out of that Little Mermaid uh, debacle. Did, did you see the, was it a TikTok, I think, or an Instagram video of uh, young kids, black kids seeing the trailer for the first time? I, I, I was just watching it enthralled. Uh, beautiful stuff. And we talk about I, representation I, in media. Yeah. And it matters. Right. And this is why it matters to see the faces of those kids just yeah. light up at seeing being represented on screen. Anyway, you're yeah. not going to convince the, racists, the, the, but the like, talking, I just... yeah, the talking little mermaid is black and it's the color of her skin that people find unbelievable about the whole thing. Yeah, uh, exactly. There you have it. Was 
Polyev's camp, do you think, out of line <laughs> in in getting in touch with with Reyes's constituents? They want to fight to keep that territory. It's valuable ground. That's where they've got to keep winning. Uh, and and this new tone, this Polyev tone, is going to be quite a bit more combative than what we've seen from Aaron O'Toole. Are you, are you surprised in the least? No, no. I don't think I'm surprised in the least. And I don't think anybody should really be surprised given that Pierre's own camp was sort of giving these uh, signals, right? That he wasn't going to pivot. There wasn't going to be a ton of tempering down of his of his tone or, or his rhetoric. You know, his style has very much been throughout this leadership campaign um, to like keep kicking folks um, even when he's even when they're down and even when like he's very clear the winner and the winner by a, a you know quite a large margin um so yeah I, I think this was expected and it will be interesting to see i mean i don't think independents have a ton of history of being able to win elections in this country um you know for good or for bad whatever that may be but it, it'll be interesting to see if he runs again i guess yeah, I know that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. Nobody ever wins as an independent. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould won. Uh, she I'm, did. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm trying to think of who else has an Alberta reference. Brent Rathgaber was a a pretty popular conservative MP out of St. Albert back in the day, but he 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 walked out of step with Stephen Harper on something and and was was banished uh, uh, to walk you know to wander in the desert uh, as a an independent MP sought re-election in St. Albert was very popular and got his ass handed to him by Michael Cooper who is actually a, a previous right. member of his staff Michael Cooper now uh, one of those big Polyev supporters that we see uh, out of the province of Alberta. Hey, let me ask you this before we get any further for a lot of people across the country, the last couple of days, and, and maybe even still they're wondering whether or not they've got next Monday off. It's a federal holiday, a national day of mourning to observe the passing. And of course the funeral uh, around Queen Elizabeth II as we transition to King Charles III and, and his reign. Uh, what's the buzz? What's the scuttlebutt around you? Are most people getting the day off or are most people business as usual on Monday? I think Ontario is business as usual on Monday. Um, the premier said that he wants kids to go to school so that they can learn, I guess, about the monarchy. Um, the TTC, so the Transit Commission here in Toronto, is weirdly pausing service for 96 seconds to commemorate the queen, which okay. seems like an odd way to do it, but whatever. Um, British Columbia, I think, is getting the day off. It was with schools and stuff closed, but I mean... They are called British Columbia, so I guess that makes sense. Um, what's happening in Alberta? Yeah, Alberta is going to be business as usual as well, and I'm a little surprised. I would have thought that uh, you know our outgoing uh, premier, and I don't mean gregarious. I mean he's resigned and he'll soon be gone. Uh, Jason Kenney is you know such a big fan of, of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, sort of the the whole British. Uh, fascination of his he's quoting Churchill all the time he's oftentimes uh, referring to uh, you know Dominion Day as opposed to Canada Day and things like that uh, but yeah Alberta will not observe it it'll be business as usual I'm not really surprised I ran a, a unofficial unscientific Twitter poll uh, 24 hours I think best about kind of polls. 25 yeah they're the best ones um, 2,500 people or so responded and more than two-thirds uh, business as usual so I, I think about 10 percent of people said that their workplace was going to give them the day off so certainly the minority there would you want the day off i kind of want it off but whatever like well know. i want all the days off yeah so you know if we win the lottery uh, i'm quitting everything except for this podcast um, <laughs> i would never quit you Sapria. <laughs> 
You know, last week we saw a pretty wild story hit the headlines, right, about fraudulent credentials in police training. And as it turns out, several experts who were training police on crisis intervention, PTSD response, and other really critical issues actually had false credentials from what they call degree mills. Uh, so in the last month alone, we've heard about nurses, healthcare aides, and now police with fake credentials. The problem of degree mills and fraudulent credentials has been on the rise in recent years. And if you're a regulator, an association, or a licensing body, it's more important now than ever before to provide trustworthy training. And if you provide any type of online training, you need a trusted training partner to help you prevent fraud before it happens. That's why we want to tell you about We Know Training. With over 20 years of industry experience, We Know Training is the one-stop solution partner that enables associations, regulators, and nonprofits worldwide to develop, deliver, and monetize training that matters. With in-house customer support, e-learning development, proprietary LMS, and marketing, let We Know Training handle your online training and content needs so you and your team can get back to doing what you and your organization do best. Sure, a plug and play LMS software might be what you're used to, but imagine what your organization can do with support. You'll be in good company with success stories from We Know Training partners like the Liquor and Cannabis Regulatory Branch of British Columbia, the Alberta Hunter Education Instructors Association, and the College of Midwives of Ontario. We Know Training can help you reach a larger audience, monetize your training program, create impactful courses hassle-free, and develop top-tier training to generate reoccurring revenue. As a fully managed solution partner, We Know Training handles every step along the way. They make online learning engaging, fun, and your learners will actually retain and apply the information in the real world. If you're looking for a partner who will provide high stakes training without the stress, give We Know Training a call. You can learn more on their website, weknowtraining.ca. The lead. Right now, youth and newcomers can't get a home because local government gatekeepers block housing with heavy fees and long delays for building permits, leaving us with the fewest houses per capita of any country in the G7, even though we have the most land to build on. A poly of government will require big cities that want federal infrastructure money to speed up and lower the cost of permits to and to approve affordable housing around all transit stations so that our young people can live there and don't even need to afford a car. So that was a snippet of uh, Pierre's acceptance speech from Saturday night after the uh, leadership race uh, revealed that he was the decisive winner. And there's two things, Ryan, that strike me about his speech. Number one is that it really doesn't sound like rhetoric that would be coming from a traditional, you know, conservative politician in this country. You mean transit? Um, well, transit and just the fact that he's like prioritizing housing. Right. Yep. And, and that leads me to my second point, which is that there's no other politician federally, at least um, in, in Canada, that has been talking about housing with the, you know, authoritativeness and the urgency, I think, that the issue deserves. Because if you're under 40 in this country, right, and you're not in a home right now, um, this is one of your top concerns. Affordability is huge. And we've, you know, positioned our housing market in this country to just, to, to we, and, and us accepting our housing market to be this way of just going up and up and up and up and being like, I guess, I guess it's okay, except it's not okay. And we're seeing, you know, real ramifications of it. You and I have been talking a lot about who is buying 
those memberships and then who turned out to vote for Pierre Polyev in the leadership and who he will rely on as he builds this what what appears to be almost a new or at least reinvigorated base of support for the Conservative Party of Canada. You made the point a few episodes of Seriously Ago that you're not convinced that this is just bringing people back to the fold from the PPC or from not voting before. This is new people that otherwise probably might not even give a damn about politics. And there's little things, little words and phrases and concepts and ideas and realities that Polyev is touching on that are really smart and they're going to resonate with people like local government gatekeepers, right? Barriers, uh, delayed development permits. That's the type of thing where somebody's going to hear that and go, yes, right? They're going to bang. That's us. That's me. Oh, somebody at the federal level is addressing this. You know, not just these vague sort of comments about red tape reduction, but specifically in one area, something that really drives people nuts. And I think you see insights there as well into who he sees as really fertile ground for gleaning new support. And that's young people, right? Who looks for the most part, uh, generally speaking, who prioritizes things like affordable housing or a first time home buyers incentive or proximity to transit within city centers. It's the young professionals. Yeah, totally. And so there are two interesting, I think, further things that come out of this. And one is, is uh, to your point, getting and galvanizing those folks that are under 40 that we you know want to buy a home that are out of a home right now um, and, you know, make getting them into the conservative fold. The, the other aspect, I think, is that it really does put both the NDP and the liberals in a position where Pierre basically has just to roll up and say, hey, these two idiots haven't done anything for you when it comes to housing. Um, vote for me because I have this plan and I'm at least going to help to to get some of this done. And, you know, the liberals have been in power um, for quite some time now. If the NDP liberal deal holds and the elect the next election is in 2025, I mean, we're talking about 10 years, right? It's very hard to win a fourth mandate after that. And so it will be interesting to see what the liberals and the NDP come up with on housing because they have to do something. And this leads to the other aspect of this, which is, can we actually have a grown-up conversation on housing? Because in order for housing prices to go down, people are going to have to lose equity in their homes. And I don't know if we're prepared to have that conversation. It'll be interesting to see how, in particular, the governing liberals respond to this. And uh, you, you get the early impression that they might be caught on their heels a little bit. Now, it's still so early that I'm not sure that's a fair assessment, but we did. No, see... I think it's fair. Yeah, I mean, we did yeah. see the prime minister uh, upon confirmation that Pierre Polyev was the leader, the worst kept secret in maybe the history of Ottawa or at least top 10, uh, <laughs> that that Justin Trudeau went on the offensive and called out his stance on, on Bitcoin as an example, saying that, you know, Polyev's suggestion that people could avoid inflation would have listened to him, cashed in on the Bitcoin boom, and then subsequently lost all their life savings. Not entirely accurate, but you get the sense. He wants to establish that doubt. He wants to point out that he believes these to be somewhat shallow or foundationless theories. But the more that they gain traction, the liberals are going to have to, like you said, come up with compelling counterpoints about why they should be trusted to help, in particular, young and middle-aged people navigate these next few years of, in particular, economic uncertainty. So I guess the ball's in their court now. It is. And I mean, I hope they come up with a housing plan that's been a little bit better than previous housing initiatives, because all they've really done in while they've been in government is to, you know, for the most part, provide upper middle class folks with more relief without going, you know, into 
uh, folks that need more help um, in, in, in terms of what their you know, economic or social status is. And I don't know if they're doing that. And, you know, the bank of mom and dad is getting hit hard with inflation as well. And so th- it's going to be harder and harder for boomers to basically help out their, you know, y- kids on this. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just the whole thing is, is bad where we're going towards a situation where if folks can't even afford a home to live, whether we're talking about an actual, you know, a home to buy or a home to rent, because rent is incredibly high as well, um, then it's just a, a very big, bad recipe for economic and strife. Yeah, I don't want to take us too far into the weeds. Uh, you know, we promise to do this in under a half hour every week. But I will point out also, and, and you and I have talked about this off camera, that that bank of mom and dad or the bank of grandma and grandpa or whatever, let's call it folks nest eggs, the equity in their homes also needs to be considered. Whether you're taking a look at, uh, you know, f- f- taxes aimed at foreign investors like we've seen in the West Coast or measures in Ontario or other parts of Canada, even, you know, the stress tests, not as strong of an example when it comes to mortgages across the country uh, right now. People are going to push back as well. You want to make home ownership more affordable. You want to slow the housing market to, to keep it sustainable as we understand it. But at the same time, what are you saying to the people whose retirement depends on the equity in their homes? And well, when yeah, government and- policy starts to take aim at that, then you're going to have consternation and protests from both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's one thing when you're my age and you own a home and you still have a ton of working years ahead of you, right? Um, but it's a very different thing if you are really reliant on your house in and of itself as being your retirement package. And it's that that'll be interesting once we get into more details about this as, as it goes on. But look, we've talked about housing. He had this great night, right? As I said, he had a great first introduction to caucus. And then comes his first, um, I guess, statement to, to the media. I guess his camp had made it very clear that he wasn't going to take questions, right? This pissed off, uh, presumably, uh, David Aiken of Global News. He's the chief political correspondent over there. And so Aiken keeps yelling out these questions about how firing the Bank of Canada governor is going to help inflation. Um, you know, Polyev then calls Aiken a liberal heckler, but we do have the video uh, here. Uh, it's, it's from True North. Everyone should take a, a listen or, or watch it for themselves right now. We have we we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today, to well apparently. Right. That Are you going to let you me make my statement from the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law? Yeah. Are you going to we let me make like my statement? Ask a question. Say yes. I've never I've actually never seen you heckling the I've prime minister. Before. Ask minister never Bear, seen you heckling the, the prime minister. Look, bottom line is this. Yes, I'm taking, I'll be taking two questions at the very end. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So I'm going to start my statement again, and hopefully this time without interruption from uh, the uh, liberal heckling g- gathering here. <laughs> okay, so just really quickly to let people know before we get into the, the actual meat of that video, uh, it, it is worth noting that the Polyev camp, or I guess now the Conservative Party, I should say, uh, very quickly thereafter uh, of that video you know, getting put out there, put out a fundraising appeal, basically saying that, you know, David Aiken of Global News, like they named him in the email, um, was heckling him. Uh, and David Aiken did eventually take to Twitter and apologize, um, basically saying that there, you know, he should have made the point better of uh, even wanting to ask a question, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people reached out, said it was rude, and he apologizes. Um, so I guess that's all well and good. But, you know, one aspect to this is that We've got, you know, the rebel and the tr- and true north uh, put out videos very quickly of the incident. 
um, both essentially working as proxies for rapid response, which, you know, good or bad, that, that is what it is. That's the environment now. Um, but do you think this like hurts Pierre's uh, kind of introduction to the Canadian people in any way? No, I think more than anything, it hurts David Aiken's reputation, to yeah. be honest with you. And, and this email that went out from the conservatives, the Polyev camp, the fundraising email alleges also, by the way, uh, that he was hurling obscenities, that he was swearing, uh, which David Aiken has since denied publicly. Uh, but yeah, we can't count on the media, says the email, to communicate our message to Canadians. We have to go around them and their biased coverage. And to do that, we need your help. Chip in, click here to help us go around the biased media. I mean, it's it's Donald Trump all over again. Uh, does it help Polyev's brand? I mean, with whom? <laughs> you yeah. know, with his existing supporters, sure. With people that are looking for a combative, unapologetic, somewhat, pardon me, prickish conservative party yeah it'll help uh, for average ordinary folks that expect political correspondents to behave with some decorum and expect politicians to be available and transparent uh, i think both of their reputations take a ding here what do you think yeah i yeah so look i think anybody who knows david aiken knows that he asks is is a dogged reporter irrespective of who the politician is right uh you kind of heard in that video clip he is the one who broke the Aga Khan, um, Justin Trudeau going on vacation to his island story, right? Um, he also, when the prime minister uh, was, it was known during the 2019 campaign when it broke, the story broke that he was in black, that he wore blackface. A Aiken straight up was like, so you're going to resign now, right? Like, so Aiken isn't a partisan. And I think, I don't even think uh, Pierre's camp or the conservative party really actually believes that Aiken is some sort of like secret liberal or anything, which kind of makes this whole thing worse because it's somewhat inauthentic. Right. Um, right. Um, but I, I think, you know, just looking at this a little bit further back to your point, I hate comparisons to Trump. Like I hate them. I think most of them are lazy. Uh, and I think particularly in the Canadian context, they don't necessarily tend to fit. But looking at that exchange, the first thing I thought of when I saw the video was just Jim Acosta and Donald Trump, yeah. Jim Acosta being of CNN, right? And them going at it. And I think for most Canadians, um, they see something like that. And it does turn them off because irrespective of whether or not Pierre comes off as a a jerk or whatever you want to say, you say in that, in that exchange, I think more than that, it also kind of makes him look weak. Like he can't answer a question um, or that he can't control a situation. Right. Um, and that he kind of lets the questioning um, knock him off his game uh, a, a little bit. And I think that if he continues to do, will will have more of a sticking uh, factor to it than the being a jerk quality would be in this case. Yeah, I wonder if, and, and I don't even know if I believe this, but let me just throw it out there. Every major party leader is following a playbook. We know that to be true. Yeah. Um, does Justin Trudeau just make it look easier than Pierre Polyev? Does Pierre Polyev just make it look more obvious that he's following the playbook? Uh, you know, Trudeau hasn't always been available for candid comments and questions. Um, I will say in my own orbit, he has been. Uh, he did 15 minutes on my show, Real Talk, without any questions supplied ahead of time. Pierre Polyev wouldn't even do an interview. So take that for what it's worth. I think Canadians expect transparency. And at some point, I think that this could blow up in Polyev's face. Yeah, I think it could. And one other really quick thing, because I know we promised to make this like a pizza in the 90s under 30 minutes or less. Um, but I want to just point what out a great that like billboard like pizza right? in the 90s. Yeah. The glory um, days. <laughs> the, um, the 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 interesting thing I, I think that's going to really stick with a lot of people about this is that 
to your point about expecting, you know, a certain degree of transparency of, from politicians, I think is certainly true. And, and but I, I think the, the the further, you know, the the more visceral thing is that I think we just want our politicians to not sort of be constantly on attack. And that certainly appeals to a certain demographic, right? Because there is this like meta narrative that's sort of developing amongst a lot of journalists and, and media chattering types that are saying that, well, this is all, you know, Pierre playing 3D chess. This is all part of the plan. The second Aiken went at him, he knew in his head he was going to have a fundraiser out of it. And this was going to appeal to the folks that he needs to appeal to. Are there enough people in Canada that that appeals to, though? And and that's what I'm not sure of. Um, if the kind of thing that you can scale in the U.S. with, you know, Trumpism, if you can scale that in 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 this country, and I guess that's what remains to be seen. Seriously. And so, to my Democratic friends, you're going around calling all of us every name you can think of. We're a bunch of wackos. Your idea is wacko, not ours. Let's vote. Let's vote. Give me a chance to vote on this bill. So not so much about state rights, evidently. Uh, that was Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Um, and that's because we clipped him there because he introduced legislation yesterday that would institute a federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which, you know, just rethrows um, the entire abortion, uh, abortion debate really front and center when I think the Republicans were trying to avoid uh, this issue, or at least seemingly trying to avoid this issue for the most part in the lead up to November midterms. Can you imagine you're Mitch McConnell and you're eight weeks out from midterm elections and Lindsey Graham drops this on you? Uh, uh, Jared Yates Sexton on Real Talk, uh, just on uh, people can check out the September 14th episode. He describes this as a civil war for control over the Republican Party. Yeah. And how could it not be right? This is a huge fuck you to Mitch McConnell. Um, and I can't imagine something, you know, similar happening with uh, Chuck Schumer, you know, on the Democratic side, losing uh, control of, of his people in, in that same way. And I mean, the Democrats have seen, at least in, in key, some key states, an increase in registrations from, from women going to vote, uh, presumably because of, you know, abortion, quote unquote, being on the ballot, so to say, in November. And I can't imagine this necessarily going well for the Republicans. But I mean, I've been wrong before, I guess. So what do you think the strategy is here? Like, it's 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 a divisive move within the Republican Party. It, to me... Uh, galvanizes, mobilizes, uh, enrages not just Democrats, but potential Democrats or otherwise apathetic voters that will be turning out now. I mean, even within the Republican loyalists, I mean, you know, Team GOP, there's going to be a lot of people, maybe women in particular, or just maybe more reasonable people sitting there saying this is a bad look for this party. Like It, it seems to me to be like stapling both your feet to the floor. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. But I guess maybe, you know, Lindsey Graham thinks that there are enough people that hate women enough or at least don't think women should have control over their own bodies enough that this is a winning ticket. Otherwise, I, like he can't be what you like. We think he's a secret plant trying to trying to bomb it for the I Republicans. Right. What's like, going on? It's just for people. I mean, most people hear this on the podcast, but you see it on YouTube. If you see even him at the podium, he's surrounded by women. 
And then there's just, again, just this old white dude in a suit talking about where they're going to go with abortion. I mean, even the, the fact, you know, they're calling us every name in the book, wacko, you know, you're the wackos. Like, what, yeah. what is this? What is this, the playground? Like, it just honestly, to me, it, none of this makes sense whatsoever, but nothing really has out of the U.S., maybe aside from Biden's win, and even that, uh, a tiny little bit cringe, but I digress. Uh, again, our neighbors to the south. Yeah, let's just think of American women at this time because it's not going to be an easy slog for them coming yeah. up the next little like, bit. Yeah, Actually, seriously. Yeah, women will die. That's it for us on this episode of Seriously. As always, you can connect with us on Instagram at SeriouslyPod, on Twitter at Sapria and Ryan, and you can always check us out on our website, SeriouslyPod.com. It means a ton to us when you subscribe to our YouTube channel, when you subscribe to our podcast. And if you're listening to the pod right now, check out that share button. It's where you can share seriously with anybody else who you think might benefit from checking out what we're putting out there every single Wednesday in 30 minutes or less. Supreme, we'll see you again soon. Looking forward to it. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwivedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Norlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tangi. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com. 